What's he doing in there? What the hell is he doing in there? He has a grudge against the neighborhood dog. He never goes to close his blinds. He's hiding something from the rest of us. He's all by himself. I think I know why. He took down the makeshift lift from the balcony. He has no pets of his own, you see. He has no Saint Bernard. And he has no cats. And his garden's dying. And what about all those suitcases he packs? What's he doing in there? Three times down the stairs. What's he doing in there? I'll tell you one thing, he's not building a playhouse for the children. What's he doing in there? And what's that rope doing on the bed? The soap he owns leaves his hands red. And I swear to God, I heard someone scream that night. Hours passed and he had yet to shut the light. He has a large knife and a small handsaw. And you won't believe what Mrs. Burner saw. A handbag hangs on the bedpost by the door. And there's also enough luggage there to hide a corpse. What's he doing in there? What the hell is he doing in there? I heard that he sent his wife to some place called Merrittsville, New York. And he used to have a production business in East Gardena. But what's he doing in there? He has no wife, but he owns a lot of jewels. I bet he often sharpens all his tools. I heard he smoked the same cigar all night and just sat there in its orange light. And what's that number he's always calling? What's he doing in there? What's he doing in there? We have a right to know. Hello everyone out there and welcome to Nightcaps at the Theater presents Nightcaps at the Theater episode... I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> it's something. Yep. 
Uh, let's see. We're gonna we're, we're we're gonna watch a movie this episode, and you guys are gonna hear about it. We <laughs> are you, against your will. Yep. But uh, who's gonna be talking to you guys about it? None other than me, uh, or I guess none other than I. I'm not sure what what's grammatically correct there, but uh, I am Matt. I had a joke about our podcast, but then I remembered nobody would hear it. Cabrera. Ah, <laughs> uh, I see what you did there, and yeah. I'm uh. Constantly looking for the gabagool. I'm Jonathan Kwiatkowski. Very nice. Yep. Yeah, that uh, that meme I referenced that has it was birthed, I believe, on Friday night, and by Saturday morning it had been played out. I hear. That's all, the way memes all, go, though. Yeah, all around Twitter. Yeah, they're there and then they're gone, like a, one, a fart in the wind. This one, yeah. This one had a, or as a, as Venom would say, it's heard in the wind. <laughs> Yeah, this one apparently had an unusually short shelf life. So, uh, RIP, I had a joke about, but then meme format. Yeah, the new thing is, are you cake? <laughs> oh, damn it, that was a hit. That, that, wow, all right, that was actually my original um, introduction. But well, then I felt this one was going to go out of style so quickly, and cake, is, <laughs> cake lasts forever. No, cake is back again, baby. Didn't you I, exactly. check Twitter today? No. Yeah. yeah, so I thought I could use cake for next time, and I would be uh. good with with this format. Since by the time we meet again, it would be it would be as if it had occurred last century. Yeah, basically, that's how our podcast runs, <laughs> <laughs> and how the internet works. How the time yep. on the internet works. Just ask uh, Tenet. Which oh, my... every time is we that meet, that movie ever going to come out? <laughs> never, not. Not I, that movie doesn't exist. It's just a trailer. I'm pretty it sure. It really, it really doesn't. It's surprising, and you you'd be surprised how many people brought up Tenet to me, and I'm like, why are you talking about a movie that's never going to come out? <laughs> uh, well, speaking of movies that um are never going to come out, that's the opposite of what this one did because oh my God, it it released <laughs> at one point in time, and we are going to watch it. Yay! So uh, I did give a hint last time as I, for you're going to have to remind me. <laughs> um, I apologize, audience. It's been two weeks. I could not get my life together. I'm sorry, <laughs> and it's it's just rough. But it, it happens. Yeah, it's that 2020. I'm, I'm right there with you. Nobody is. Uh, nobody's having the time of their lives during this <laughs> year. Olivia de Havilland died. She was 104. Yeah, she <laughs> played uh, Melanie in Game of Thrones. I hear. <laughs> not exactly. No. <laughs> She's not the one that blew up the the sept. <laughs> nope, close. Uh, all right. Well, I I gave the hint, the hint from last time prior to my watching this movie. I had never seen this movie before. I gave, uh, yeah, before I gave the hint, mm. and so I, I think when I said it, I did it in a like a, a Kentucky Fried accent, kind of a <laughs> kind of a. Um, uh, Benoit Blanc. Ah. Wait, Benoit? Yeah, yeah. Benoit. Okay. Yeah. I, I keep on wanting to say Daniel Blanc, but that's Daniel Craig playing <laughs> yeah. Benoit Blanc. Daniel Blanc. <laughs> so, the hint from last time is, or was, it had to be murder. Oh, it had to be murder. And mm. disregard the accent completely because I watched yeah. the film, uh, big surprise, and it, it that accent does not suit it at all. Oh, no Southern murder? No. There's been a murder in Savannah? <laughs> nope. We're not watching the Office <laughs> murder mystery party episode? But there may have been a murder elsewhere. 
Oh, how vague is that? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my f- one point five hint. That's my All Lion right. King one and a half hint. <laughs> um, so any guesses oh, right off the bat? <sighs> Murder mystery. See, I would guess Clue, but we've already seen that already. <laughs> oh, but did we watch? The unreleased alternate ending. Uh, we watched all three of them, yes. <laughs> oh, but the magical fourth one. That doesn't exist. I wish if it existed, I would be the first to know. Oh, yeah. I don't doubt it. <laughs> so that's my guess so far. I have no right. idea. Second hint. Heat wave in New York City. Oh, my goodness. Could it be? Are we watching? Uh, would you really do this to us? Well, do you want to hear my third hint? Because yeah. this one may may change your mind, may change some minds on what uh, the popular assumption is so far. Mm. Alvin and the Chipmunks? Oh, fuck me. <laughs> fuck <laughs> is, me. Is hint number three. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. See, I thought it was going to be um, <laughs> do the right thing. <laughs> mm, interesting. Alvin and the Chipmunks, though, it really... <laughs> Oh, should I say Alvin and the Shitmunks? Uh, really hey, got him. Really throws me off. Yeah, I got Alvin, Simon, and Theodore. <laughs> I got him. Got them all, and Dave too for extra measure. <laughs> and Neil Patrick Harris for being uh, those. I don't know that that last hint really throws me off. Unless we're watching the the infamous. Have you ever seen the Alvin and the Chipmunks like Great Adventure with the Chipettes animated? No, fuck i love that movie i no, fucking I love that movie like the original animated one oh they go around the world they're in in balloons there's a a, a woolly bully musical number it's is, crazy is there a possible murder in that one yeah there might be because they deal with okay. some drug cartel actually like for real <laughs> the chipmunks are importing cocaine around the world that's the thing yeah i thought that was always their thing yeah <laughs> It was the the 80s, baby. (laughs) But, uh... right, well, you are are not on the right track, so I'm going to try to get you there. All right. Here's another hint. Miss Torso, Miss Lonely Hearts, The Songwriter. Oh my god, Matt, my favorite Hitchcock! Ooh. (laughs) You're doing this for me! That was uh, my my last hint. Oh, Matt, you give me these gifts on my birthday. <laughs> you come here bringing gifts on my birthday for yeah, birthday months? It's a couple months late, but uh, there you go. Happy birthday. We're watching my favorite Hitchcock, Rear Window. Has Indeed, to be. that is correct. Wow. I, did wow. Not, I did not know that was your favorite. That's very good. Yeah, yeah this is my favorite Hitchcock. Awesome. I love this movie. Well, the remaining hints were, of course, I, I had to... I had to. I had to do it to him. The remaining <laughs> hint was uh, isolation. All right. Well, that that could be yet again anything. <laughs> I just. How did I, Alvin and the Chipmunks relate to this? Oh, we'll get into it. We'll get okay. into it. But there okay. is a definite connection. Believe me. Yeah. And uh, the last hint. Well, in in regards to isolation, this has been called the perfect isolation slash quarantine movie. Mm. So it's yeah, it kind of makes sense. And um, I've had a few uh, rear window esque experiences on my block <laughs> in the past few months. <laughs> Haven't we all? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the the final remaining hint, in case you had not guessed it by by this point, was uh, five lost Hitchcocks. 
Uh-huh. Right, it, it was really Hitchcock and then parentheses five lost. Mm. So I'll uh, I'll explain that in just a moment. But before then, some background on the film. This was released mm. on September 1st, 1954. It stars Jimmy Stewart and Grace Kelly. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Stewart had has stated that of the of all the movies that he's made with uh, Alfred Hitchcock, there were four of them, but this one is his personal favorite. Mm. And Grace Kelly, meanwhile, actually turned down the lead in On the Waterfront to star in Rear Window. I could have been a contender. <laughs> and actually, I'm, you know what? I didn't. I, I guess I didn't adequately do my research because something's <laughs> coming up to me now, which I believe. Yeah. If um, so, this was an interesting year, 1954, uh, at yeah. least in regards to the Oscars, because uh, I just read, you know, what I just said about On the Waterfront that uh, Grace Kelly passed up that role, and yeah. On the Waterfront ended up being the winner of the Best Picture Oscar um, mm-hmm. for the year that followed. Um, Marlon Brando won Best Actor for On the Waterfront, and yep. uh, and Kazan. Yep, best one director? best director. And yep. Grace Kelly even won Best Actress that year, but it wasn't for On the Waterfront in an alternate timeline. It wasn't even for Rear Window. It was for uh, another movie, The Country Girl. Yeah, was it, she was nominated twice, right? Or, uh, let me see. No? Or was that for the next year? Yeah, not this year. Huh, interesting. But uh, yeah, no, that is that is pretty interesting. I mean, Rear Window on the Waterfront is really not a bad choice to make if that's the choice you're going through. Uh, no. Great movies. Great acting, too. I I envy them. Yeah. (laughs) You could have got Marlon Brando before he was fat. (laughs) The dream was yours, baby. Yeah, here I am making a decision to feed my child or (laughs) get another Switch game. Talk about tough decisions here. What are you talking about? You just uh, jerry-rigged yourself some limited-run games. You good (laughs) for another month at least. Come on. All right, that's true. Yeah, Mondo's got that new A24 promotion coming your way. You know, I'll be hitting you up. I'll be at the doorstep. (laughs) Oh, God, I am scared. (laughs) I am horrified. Uh, So, yeah, speaking of, uh, you know, this this movie seems to be uh, a few people's favorites. Um, And not only that, it is considered one of Hitchcock's bests and also one of the greatest films ever made. It has a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, that must have been recent because I, I did see one source that said it had 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. So somebody, I guess, uh, found it un, unfavorable in the Damn. recent past. And it has a, a stellar 9.16 average rating. That is really, a, you know, it's not Parasite level. Yeah. The greatest movie of all time. But yeah. um, it, is, uh, it, is, it is up there. It mm. earned $5.3 million on a $1 million budget. And uh, because I, I, I already know you're going to ask, I took out the nightcaps calculator and <laughs> 5.3 mil in 54. $700 billion. <laughs> yep. I'm close, right? Yeah. It's uh, 50.6 million in 2020. Yeah. Which, you about know, the same. nowadays it doesn't sound like a huge sum when you have uh, uh, the, uh, Avengers 99 doing like a 3 billion, <laughs> but that was enough to make it the highest grossing film at the box office for mm. that year. Uh, which is also impressive because it came out pretty late in the year, in September. So uh, this movie, uh, it was actually unavailable. We almost didn't watch it. This was unavailable for three decades because its rights uh, were bought back by Alfred Hitchcock and left as part of his legacy to his daughter. Um, It was Rear Window along with four other films. 
that uh, came to be known as the infamous Five Lost Hitchcocks among <laughs> movie buffs. Finally, though, in around uh, 1984, they were all re-released in theaters or... No, sorry, I think... Mm, I, I don't know if they were all re-released in theaters or if it was just this one. A few, yeah. Yeah. Uh, who cares? It's not the 80s. We don't have to worry. We can watch it whenever <laughs> we're not we want. a podcast for facts. <laughs> Come on. Yes. <laughs> but um, what, what I did find funny was prior to the theatrical re-releases in the 80s, uh, this movie, Rear Window, was actually televised once in 1971 on ABC, although the network technically did not have the legal right to do so. So that's pretty mm. awesome. And I kind of wish they did things like that more often. What's Hitchcock going to do? Attach them to birds? <laughs> <laughs> so additionally, another reason why we almost didn't watch this was uh, it was actually damaged uh, almost beyond repair due to poor storage and overprinting. So uh, when it hit the Universal Pictures archives, it had a, uh, a faded original negative and an unusable soundtrack. But uh, there was a restoration team involved that was able to bring it back to life and resuscitate it. Mm. So uh, one thing that's kind of interesting about this one is that uh, before it started filming, this was uh, the first film, I believe, that Alfred Hitchcock... Uh, tackled after dropping more than 150 pounds yep. and he was at perhaps the happiest stage of his life and career according to uh, francois truffaut he was feeling very creative and the batteries were well charged so that's uh i'm jealous i don't know <laughs> i wish i could drop 150 pounds come on <laughs> and have well charged batteries i'm never gonna yeah. get to that point Not and have a career rate. yeah <laughs> <laughs> So um, the film is not notable for taking place entirely on one set, which at the time was actually the largest of its kind at Paramount Studios and took six weeks to build. A wow. lot of complexities came with recreating the outdoor scene indoors, specifically in regards to natural looking lighting and developing a massive drainage system for the film's rain sequences. Yeah. Uh, the apartment courtyard set measured... Uh, 98 feet wide, 185 feet long, and 40 feet high, and consisted mm -hmm. of 31 apartments, um, 8 to 12 of which, there are some conflicting reports, but somewhere within that realm, 8 to 12, were completely furnished. Yeah. And uh, the courtyard actually was set 20 to 30 feet below stage level, and s some of the buildings were the equivalent of five or six stories high. And so what that means is that... Um, uh, Jimmy Stewart's apartment, where pretty much the whole film takes place, was actually mm -hmm. at street level. And when he's hmm. looking down at the courtyard, that was originally the basement wow. of this uh, of this lot. I mean, so, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm going to have to look out for it again when I'm watching. Now that I know that, I, I honestly, when I watched this, I didn't even know that it was uh, a set, an indoor set. Yeah, it looks good. It, it still holds up. Like it, it's believable. Definitely. And one thing that's impressive is um, in order to get the lighting right, they used a thousand arc lights, apparently, yeah. at least a thousand, and uh, potentially 2,000 supplemental lights in order to simulate the sunlight. And uh, yeah, they were able to make the changeover from day to night in under 45 minutes whenever they needed to. So that's pretty nice. That's that's flexible. But um, <laughs> I could not tell that it was, you know, like all artificial lighting while watching. So, uh, yeah, again, just really impressive. Let's see. Uh, 
Oh yeah, and additionally, many of the apartments had electricity and running water, and could even be cool. lived in. Uh, sure enough, Miss Torso, uh, one of the characters in the film, actually lived in her apartment all day, relaxing between takes as if she were really at home during Damn. the month-long shoot. That's the dream. That's yeah. living the fucking dream right there. <laughs> the set reportedly cost an unprecedented $9,000 to design and 72000 <laughs> to build. <laughs> Bitch, I could build that set right now. Give it to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, um, that's, that's less than, like, high schools have to work with. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Not, not knowing anything about high schools, but... And, uh, let's see. I'm trying to get the, uh, inflation calculator out. I gotta, <laughs> it re- takes longer and longer every episode. Yeah. yeah. That's apparently, uh, 774000 in 2020 dollars. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> Where have we come? Where did we go wrong? Set? What? Is that a lot for a set? Yeah, that's a lot for a set. <laughs> well, well, nowadays, you know, you have like Avengers whizzing around. You have Hamilton with the, the, the I, I don't know, like a, a spinning thing. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, what's God, a, a turntable. <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, despite all this, interestingly enough, the movie did not score an Oscar nomination for production design, which <sighs> uh, at this point was known as Best Art Direction. But maybe yeah. that's not so surprising because uh, it is the Oscars after all. Mm-hmm. Bougie, bougie, bougie. Mm-hmm. So the address given in the film is 125 West 9th Street in New York's Greenwich Village. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the set was actually based on a real courtyard located at 125 Christopher Street. Yep. So that's kind of interesting in case uh, we ever find our way outdoors again. Yeah, uh, we, yeah, might want to check that out and see if it I've been there in up. the past, but yeah. that's about it. Oh, yeah. nice. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna want to visit. In addition to the uh, the visuals, a lot of attention was focused onto the sound of the movie, which instead <laughs> of having a traditional score, makes use of natural sounds and music that would suit the film setting's ambiance. Much of the film's sound is diegetic. I believe that's how you pronounce that. Diegetic. Damn it. Diegetic. It's okay. I don't. I think my college professor would say diegetic, but I don't. Yeah, and, I mean they get paid more correct. than me, so who are you going to believe? <laughs> yeah. Your college professor and me. <laughs> I'll take you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, what that means is, uh, for those who don't know, that means that the sound happens within the world of the film, as opposed to non-diegetic, which uh, would only be heard by us, the viewing audience, and not the characters within the world of the film. Mm. Um, despite pretty much all the sounds being diegetic there is a credited composer franz Wa- waxman <laughs> franz waxman franz what <laughs> franz <laughs> what uh, you call me <laughs> whose contributors contributions were limited to the opening and closing titles and a piano tune written by one of the characters uh, this ended up being waxman's final score for hitchcock <laughs> probably not because he phoned it in probably uh, i don't know maybe he died or something don't quote me on that. <laughs> so uh, this movie was actually remade for TV in 1998 with an updated storyline in which the lead character is paralyzed and lives in a high-tech home filled with assistive technology. Didn't see it, unfortunately. Sounds kind of dumb to me, but yeah, um, yeah, I have not seen that either, of course. Um, who would you guess stars in this movie? 
Oh my god, it's tricky. I mean, of course I would say Jimmy Stewart, because main character, but Grace Kelly is obviously more expensive than Jimmy oh, Stewart. No, I'm referring to the made-for-TV remake in 1998. Oh, oh, I don't fucking know. Um, who's in a wheelchair? <laughs> who could who could act in a wheelchair? Um, hmm, hmm. It's very on the nose when I tell oh. you. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're going to be like, ugh. And what, what year is it again? 98. 98 in a wheelchair new york apartment fuck why can't <laughs> i don't know i was gonna say something offensive like stephen hawk <laughs> well, well. stephen hawkings <laughs> it's not quite stephen hawking but you're on the right track really it is uh christopher reeve oh that's messed up that's yeah. fucking messed up like <laughs> who I, did that i mean i think it was a project that um you know they were that he was happy to get involved with but um, it's just, I don't even know what to call that casting. Like I, I mentioned on the Superman notes. casting. Yeah. <laughs> hey, there we go. Um, I think, I don't think he, I'm not sure what, uh, what role Reeve had in the creation of that movie. It's possible that he even uh, directed it. No, he did not direct it. Okay. <laughs> but uh, he did star in it. Wow. So. Yeah, again, it's just... I mean, I guess that brings some definite believability to the role, then. Definitely, yep. Yeah. And I'm glad, you know, it, it provided him with a, with a good role. Yeah. I, I mean, it is made for TV, but still. Yeah, he had that Superman money. He's good. <laughs> we saw the inflation calculator. Like, $2 back then is like $2 billion <laughs> now, so he's oh, yeah. good. Uh, that old uh, Fry from Futurama bank account. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of remakes... Um, by the time this movie, Rear Window, the original 54 one, by the time it was included in the Library of Congress's National Film Registry in 1997, the film had already interested other directors with its theme of voyeurism. These other reworkings of the film included Brian De Palma's 1984 film Body Double, mm. uh, Philip Noyce's Sliver from 1993. Classic, um, classic. Oh, I don't know any of those, actually. <laughs> Uh, soon to follow were DJ Caruso's Disturbia from 2007. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> May have mentioned it a few times on this podcast. <laughs> May have parodied it in song form. <laughs> um, a fun teen horror flick, The Wretched, which uh, mm -hmm. just came out this year amid the pandemic and apparently was doing really good uh, box office numbers at drive-ins. Mm -hmm. um, the AV Club called that one... Uh, it said the the wretched is rear window with a witch. Oh, that sounds right up my alley. <laughs> yeah, could be good. Oh, I need to check that out. And finally, also the upcoming but seemingly always out of reach, the woman in the window, directed by Joe Wright and starring Amy Adams. Yep. Yep. Which, uh... <laughs> oh my God! There's people in the window next door. <laughs> I can't leave the house. What am I gonna do? <laughs> Uh, I haven't seen the trailer for that. I, oh, I, you're missing a time. You're missing a time. Well, apparently it tested quite negatively with test audiences. <laughs> and that's why it didn't release two years ago when it was supposed to. And it still hasn't come out. I would say I'm shocked, but <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> so uh, apart from that, that's all the notes I have for before we get into this movie. Awesome. Um, do you have any thoughts on it? Um I guess why I would say this is my favorite Hitchcock. I like how it's so contained in growing up in the tri-state area as well. Like, this is something we've all experienced living in uh, close boroughs, wondering mm -hmm. what our neighbors are doing, that voyeurism sense that's going on. Um, I really love Grace Kelly in this movie, too. She's gorgeous, um, especially Indeed. her ensemble. 
Um, I, you mean, you can't be on this podcast without a Jimmy Stewart impression. So. <laughs> oh, what are you doing? Lisa, Lisa, get away from the window. What you, oh, you're going to get out of there. Like, <laughs> it's in my blood. I love Jimmy Stewart. I love his stupid voice. Yeah. <laughs> I love, stu- I love uh, whoever's, I forget who's like the housekeeper in this movie, but she's badass too. Yeah, she's um, good. I don't know she's the a, actress's name. Yeah, she's in a lot of shit that I enjoy too, and I feel bad that I forget her name, but it's also late on a Sunday and everything. But um Thelma I like Ritter. how Yeah, yeah, Thelma Ritter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything. Everything. <laughs> um But I I like how it's like mm, you can't tell if there's an actual villain until the very end. Right. And assuming that your suspicions are correct, right? Like, that's always a feeling we have. Like, it could just be something that I'm overthinking in the moment. And yeah. it could turn out to be true, but we don't know. Like, I, mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to revisit this one because uh, when I first watched it, I mean, I gotta say there was... I, it, oof, like 90% of the movie is built up, honestly. Oh, yeah, so but I, I like that, though. It, it's world yeah. building, but the set, as you mentioned, is great. Like, mm-hmm. it looks realistic. It works well. Yeah, so I think watching it again through through that lens, through all the knowledge that I have of the film now, I think uh, I'm hoping that a second watch is even more rewarding than the first. Mm-hmm. And uh, with that, well, you got to take us, take us away with an impression. Oh, oh, Lisa, Lisa, get out of there. She's got the ring. She's got the ring. Oh, oh, oh I'm going to take a few snapshots. Yeah. Oh, I look real good. Oh, I'm a photographer, but, but my leg's broken. I, I can. I got to itch it. I got to itch. I got to scratch. <laughs> yeah, I think you slipped into Nick Cage there for a bit. Uh, I mean, okay. I was eating my uh, monster macaroni or whatever it's called. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's spy on some folks. Oh, I love that. Disturbia, the darkness in her eyes. Matt, put that gun down. I mean that camera down. What do you think you're doing with that thing? <laughs> uh, you could blind a man, or, or even worse, take his life with that camera. Oh my god, god forbid. What do you want me to do? Close my eyes and approach you slowly? Nah, it would never work. Uh, well, we just watched Rear Window, favorite Hitchcock film of all time. Uh, initial thoughts. What did we think? What we're going through our head doing this, Burian? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, it's pretty good. It's, yeah, it's, it's super straightforward in terms of plot, mm-hmm. uh, tons of buildup, and uh, I think I think most people would say a good payoff for all that buildup. Yeah, aside from the ending, but it was like a different time, you know, it, yeah. it's the one thing. Maybe we could have like thrown a gun in there somewhere, or a knife. <laughs> it was still suspenseful, though. Yeah. Definitely, um, you know, not knowing what, well, we'll get into it. I don't want to give everything away right now. Yeah, for this, uh, may I mention, the oldest movie that we've seen on the podcast so far, I believe. Oh, you know what? I believe, yeah, that should be correct. Hmm. Yeah, you beat me to it because my next pick was going to be one of the oldest movies that we're going to watch on this podcast. Uh, see, I couldn't I couldn't give you that satisfaction. Uh, don't worry, mine still beats you by 10 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, we're, 
We're going back. Casablanca. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I won't tell until the end of the podcast. But uh, yeah, interesting there. Um, so let's get into plot. We open on some jazz. Do you like jazz? <laughs> gotta have jazz. Yeah, I was thinking uh, I, I got West Side Story vibes from this opening. It's the same era. I think it's uh, five years later. Yeah, or, yeah maybe. I, I mean, on Broadway, years. it's five years. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then it was right. uh, probably seven years, I think. I think it was 61. I think 63, but I don't know. Okay. It's probably 62, so, right in between. So nine, eight years or so, but yeah, it's the same. You know, we're in New York City, we're in Chelsea, <laughs> in this one very good set, as we mentioned in the beginning, and we meet professional photographer uh, Jeff, or Jeffries is his last name, but people call him Jeff, mm-hmm. and uh, he is in a Chelsea apartment complex with a broken leg after, you know, he was uh, taking some snapshots that he shouldn't have been yeah, and got run sure. over by a car. Yeah, pretty much. It seemed to be a head-on collision between him and a sports car. And he has like a a progressing (laughs) shot of this whole incident going on that I was like, this is interesting. He shouldn't have come out of that alive. Maybe, (laughs) you know, after it was all over, he was probably like, you should should see the other guy. He's just like dead in a vehicle. (laughs) Massive car pile up (laughs) in this race. Yeah. Luckily, he got off with just a broken leg. It's been seven weeks, and he's kind of going a little bit stir-crazy, as we all are, during quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's been people-watching, something that we're all amped to do. We all have a voyeur inside of us. Oh, yeah. I've been, uh, I mean, you know, if the choice yeah. is between working from home and, uh, sorry, I'm uh, munching on this airheads. <laughs> <laughs> If the choice is between working from home and, you know, spying on some people across the street, uh, I'm going to spy a little bit. Yeah. Especially if because I... these neighbors, whoo, they uh, they like to fight a lot. They like to argue and yell at each other a lot. I wish. Oh, yeah. I, one time it it really almost came to blows. And it was like between the parents and they were, the kids were even involved. There was like a <laughs> 10-year-old with like a... I don't, I don't even know what it was. It wasn't a hammer. It, it was... <laughs> It was like a, it was like a crowbar, like an angled crowbar. <laughs> and you're just sitting there munching your hands. You're like, "Wow, this is good." Oh yeah, yeah. Don't get involved. I, I would love to see any New Yorker that doesn't get involved in this. It's like, eh, just let them. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> it's for our um, entertainment. Yeah, my neighbors are just like the Norman Rockwell family. That's just you know. Oh, what a nice deck you have. Oh. <laughs> You're all having a family gathering, eh? Well, I'll just be up here being bitter. <laughs> Watching you. But uh, he gives names for every one of his neighbors. We got the the one dancer, mm-hmm. Mrs. Torso. Or uh, Miss Torso. We... Well, Miss Torso oh. at the beginning. Yeah. But then we find out she, uh, well, we find something out about her. Yeah, it's a very interesting reveal that only took nearly two hours to find <laughs> out. Uh, we got the lonely lady, Mrs. Lonely Hearts. Um, a composer who's just known as, uh, I think it's just the composer or the musician or... Yeah, I think he's credited as the songwriter. The songwriter. Um, This is the part you're not going to believe. The songwriter in the movie is actually real life songwriter, Ross Mm. Bagdasarian. Wow. Does that uh, ring a bell for you? No. (laughs) Well, you may know him as the creator of Alvin and the Chipmunks. Ah, so it all makes sense now. Mm-hmm. So everyone was bumping in that apartment complex listening to Alvin sing about a hula hoop, huh? <laughs> well, I want to see that cut. 
The chipmunks. <laughs> it's just like every everyone else in the apartments is like, God, please stop. <laughs> Turn it off. Turn it off. <laughs> um, there's an artist downstairs that's just weird and nosy. Yep. That's all we know about her. And then there's a newlywed couple on the side and another couple above that has this dog that they lowered by basket. And I think that's about everyone. Uh, yeah. Uh, pretty, pretty, well, you forgot yeah. the, the main apartment. Oh yeah. There's these, <laughs> uh, this, this regular couple just, you know, fighting a little yep. bit. Mm-hmm. Giving each other the cold shoulder. The most interesting <laughs> television show on the block. <laughs> Um, uh, Thelma Ritter shows up as Jeffrey's maid, uh, her name is Stella, and she's a company nurse hired to help out Jeffrey, and I remember Thelma Ritter from All About Eve, that's where I remember her from, she's in that movie. Oh, interesting. I like her. And Miracle on 34th Street. Oh, nice. I've not seen either of those. (laughs) Big movies, uh... uh... (laughs) I I liked her, I was getting, like, Carta, uh, no, Carla Tortellini vibes from Cheers from her. (laughs) Carla Tortellini. (laughs) Yeah. No way, Car- Carla Tortelli. <laughs> <laughs> hey, right. I was uh, working with Miss Carla Tortellini. <laughs> <laughs> no Fratelli. The knockoff Sopranos character, the knockoff Guma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I like her. She she was a stage actress and she uh, was one of Hitchcock's favorites. So that's good to know. Um, this movie taught me, I was go, I was conflicted at points. I was like, you shouldn't snoop on your ma- neighbors. And then at other points, you should snoop on them because you may solve a murder mystery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's uh, mixed messaging, definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeff's girlfriend, Lisa, played by the beautiful Grace Kelly, you know, she's she's ready for marriage. She's a model, and she's just, you know, too perfect. She's mm-hmm. too good at everything. <laughs> she's, uh, she's perfect in every way, but what Jeffries wants. Yeah, and he just wants to go out and see the world, and she's like, just stay home. You can make money here. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have to go anywhere. He wants adventure. I don't know. I feel like they weren't a good match, and it's clearly there's an age gap here. Like, he's starting in. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely not a good match at the start of the film, and I think the film has no hesitation about showing that. My only, like, uh, disbelief when it comes to this relationship is how she's so in love with him. Yeah. I don't buy that. I, I don't know. Well, there's that theory that maybe she's just using him for his money that I found out this this time. <laughs> yeah, could be, but I I don't think I I do think she has money. I I just don't know where it was in that scene. <laughs> I don't know because <laughs> Jeffries can't afford those eleven hundred dollar dresses either. Yeah, I was so, gonna say she like has a Fight Club on the side that she fights for this money for the dresses. <laughs> yeah, it could be because we yeah we, we something is revealed about her later on. She could hold her own. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> By the um, way, that eleven hundred dollar dress. I'm gonna. I'm calculating it right now. Crunching the numbers. Put it in the converter. Come on. <laughs> Jesus, it's ten thousand five hundred dollars in twenty twenty dollars. Madonna me, she's walking around in that ten thousand dollar dress. <laughs> Says the man in a five hundred thousand dollar suit. I know. It doesn't make any sense. Um, I do like how they talk in this movie. It's very old-fashioned. Like, everyone's got a one-liner every fucking sentence in this movie. It's pleasant. I like it. Yeah. I don't think everyone talked like that in the 50s, though. (laughs) Uh, I wish. Could you imagine? (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, I, we do get Jeffries going to Stella. Does the company pay you to, to make these jabs? <laughs> you're coming around and you're, you're spreading oil on me like you're supposed to. <laughs> um, the newlyweds are next door. One of our couples. All they do throughout this movie is fuck. Oh, yeah. I yep. love it. I think that's my favorite uh, like running joke in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, Henry, come back. <laughs> or Harry. Harry. <laughs> Harry. Yeah. Every um, time he, he just wants to go for some fresh air, he wants to take a break. And she's like, Harry. <laughs> He's like, God damn it. He's like, well, back at it. Yep. And there's this opera singer going on in the background that we never get to see. She's just singing all day long. Yeah. Oh, well, and <laughs> she's probably, uh, sorry, almost choked on this airheads. <laughs> you would have died on air. <laughs> she's almost. Uh, she's probably like three blocks away. Those New York yeah. City blocks, so so small, so uh, uh, the short, and you know the paper thin walls in these apartments. Yeah, I'm not surprised we don't see her. Yeah, um, I would say that, like in New York City, no one's gonna scream out their window. Shut the fuck up. That's a good point. That's Not a good one point. <laughs> Not one person. What ideally idealized Chelsea are we living in currently? <laughs> well, I, this was before the uh, the Giuliani cleanup of the city, you know. <laughs> Thank God. So, so before people weren't saying "shut the fuck up," they were just murdering people. Now they <laughs> they give them that kind of warning. Yeah, they give them one one grace period. <laughs> yeah. One shut the fuck up. <laughs> Uh, but you know, their life is very pleasant together because Grace Kelly is her girlfriend, Lisa, in her a thousand one hundred dollar dress, mm-hmm. and she she gets dinner catering with some lobster. Oh yeah. Like what gives Jeffrey the right to complain about what's going on in his life right now? Like, I don't know. I know. It's, and this is actually um kind of uh that's a callback to what had been mentioned earlier in the film. Um, mm. Jeff actually comments to Stella, uh, the nurse, that when he gets married, it will be to somebody, like, quote, somebody who thinks of life not just as a new dress and a lobster dinner and the latest scandal, but then the first scene in which we meet Lisa, she has a new dress that she's talking about. She's She brings home the uh, lobster dinner, and mm-hmm. she uh, talks some of the scandals that's going on at work to Jeff. Yep. So, uh, yeah, that's just kind of a clever screenplay little uh, callback. Mm, I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, but Jeff is a world traveler. He wants to see the world and wants to fall in love with someone who also wants to do that. Uh, Stella is very, uh, not Stella. Um, Lisa. Lisa, or as he pronounces it, Lisa. Yeah. <laughs> Leave me alone, Lisa. Get my name right, <laughs> asshole. <laughs> uh, Lisa is just convenient and happy where she is. She she likes her, her little life that she has going on in yeah. New York City. They're just really um, uh, not compatible with each other. But again, for some reason, she loves him. Uh, for yeah. some unfathomable reason. Yep. Uh, Jeff is obsessed with Miss Lonely Heart in this one scene. And I like how in these old-fashioned movies, it's like the worst thing that you can be is a spinster. Like you're over 30 and not married. God forbid. Yeah. <laughs> you're looked at as like the scum of the universe. Yeah, you're a social and- pariah. Yeah, she gets some. They they and they watch her without commentary. They're just silently watching her. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, this champagne turns to whiskey that they have. It 
I don't know. I, <laughs> I noticed that either there it's like really burnt champagne. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, uh, champagne but... was different in the fifties. Or maybe yep. he just pulls a Jesus trick. <laughs> yeah. uh, Miss Torso is a ballet dancer. She's appears to be like macking on some producers, some director fellows. Yeah. She's entertaining uh, some guests. Yep. Uh, moving out. Um, she Maybe she like idealized moving up in the world. There's there's like a status symbol here, like, you know, with the different apartments going on, how like they all have different income levels and yet they're in the same apartment complex. Like, that's interesting to me. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get the famous couch shot with Grace Kelly sitting on this little couch in this small two-room apartment <laughs> this <laughs> photographer <laughs> lives in. Oh, and... Yeah. He's discussing, like, well, could you eat fish heads and rice, Lisa? Could you eat it? <laughs> oh, don't don't be so silly. I would never eat such a thing. <laughs> that doesn't exist, Jeff. Yeah, could, could you be shot at, Lisa? Would you ever kiss another girl? <laughs> While I watched? <laughs> <laughs> but you pretended I wasn't there, or you were scolding me for, for being a peeping Tom? Mm-hmm. And they fight because obviously Lisa's like, well, clearly, you know, I can't be the girl you want. I guess we're never going to talk to each other again. And initially you think it's a little bit more, but she's like, no, I'll be back tomorrow night anyway. Yeah. So. Yep. It's nice. It's, it's kind of sweet, although kind of sad for her at the same time. Yep. Uh, meanwhile, Jeffrey is uh, searching through the night. I forget if something happens. Like he sees the, the dog come down this wire at first and we're like, okay, the dog is lowered into... Uh, this thing to you know just explore the terrain because it's a new york city apartment complex yeah and uh i put down my next note is uh he hears don't in the night and you know he this whole mystery gets started where torvald uh this this dude the angry couple across the way uh his wife apparently screams no all the lights are out he doesn't really see what's going on but he stays up and kind of tracks what's going on or falls asleep at different points in the night but uh, he does keep seeing Mr. Thor or Lars Thorwald yeah. exiting the apartment and coming back to the apartment in the cold, like, you know, uh, I guess it's not the cold rain because they're, they're undergoing a heat wave, but in the like pounding rain. And uh, yeah, this just happens multiple times throughout the night mm-hmm. with uh, no explanation. No. And then the next morning while Jeff is sleeping, he leaves with another woman who's never really identified. Right. So, like, did he hire this woman? Did he just meet her in the hallway? Is that Mrs. Torwald? I don't. I don't know. It's very strange. He, he's probably part of like this whole uh, ring of husband murderers. <laughs> it's the opposite of a black widow. <laughs> yeah, they have accomplices everywhere. Yeah. Um, but Stella's back and, you know, Jeff tries to get Stella on the team. Like this happened and initially everyone's shooting him down. They're like, no, she probably went out. You know, it's, you shouldn't really pry into other people's lives. You're making a mountain into a uh, mountain out of a molehill. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just interesting that he went out seven times that night, you know, at three o'clock in the morning. Cause if he's a salesman, who's he selling to? Uh, I also love how everyone in this apartment complex has their window open wide open for the world to see no secrets here yeah yeah i just uh, i am a little bit astounded by that it didn't make much sense when i watched it but i mean i guess (laughs) they it is a heat wave and they need the air but you know some people are doing some shady stuff um well you know one person's doing some shady stuff but he just does not bother to close the blinds but it is addressed in the movie during a conversation so 
you know, mm-hmm. let it slide. Yeah. Um, I love how also he's basically Jeff is leaning out of his apartment, <laughs> staring at everyone. And everyone's just like, how is this person seeing everything that's going on? I don't know. Notice. Oh, yeah. Nobody. Nobody's watching him. Yeah. Or maybe someone is. <laughs> <laughs> that's a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> it's just one neighbor that's like, what is that guy doing? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the dog is digging in the garden, and this artist lady tries to warn the dog uh, that, you know, Torvald is going to... I always call him Torvald because that's the way it's pronounced in, like, I don't know, a, a doll's house version. It's it's a weird... <laughs> it's an Americanization of that thing, so forgive my pronunciation of that. All right. But um, uh, she's warning the dog that, you know, he might just snap your neck, little dog. <laughs> Stay away from there. Stay away from his beautiful garden of roses. Yeah, some foreshadowing <laughs> there. Yeah. Uh, Jeff then gets out his binoculars and they, or he starts to see that he's got a lot of jewelry in this one suitcase. Um, and he's wrapping up weapons in newspaper. Yeah. (laughs) Very odd things to be doing. He's got a large knife and a saw. Yeah. Uh, Lisa's back and initially, as I said, she's against this. It's like, you know, he could be doing so many other things, but I forget what, um, sparks her off like she sees something and then huh. oh the rope around like the thing the suitcase right mm, oh yeah yeah that's right yeah so he's like wrapping up the suitcase in rope and then immediately she's like all right i'm game and i'm like oh a new kink <laughs> is being born here <laughs> yeah yeah no, so at least, now, at least now she and uh jeff can share this interest oh she's into it oh this yeah. is like or maybe she's playing you know it it's there's a lot of little layers that you can think about a lot of different ways this character be taken it's like oh is lisa just along for this ride because she wants to you know get in jeff's good graces or is she genuinely interested in it which i think by the end of the film she is yes because she puts herself in danger multiple times but at first maybe it's like oh okay i'll amuse him a little bit yeah it could be um, they keep asking, like, maybe she died, and they bring up points like, lots of wives nag their husbands, lots of husbands have knives and saws and ropes in their house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, as I said, Lisa sees Torvald packing bed and suitcase, and then they sit and <laughs> he's just, he's sitting in the dark light, smoking the stogie. <laughs> oh, yeah. All the live long day, that's his main hobby that he loves and enjoys more than anything else in his life. He just loves to sit in the dark and casually smoke, looking out the open window. And I assume that's why uh, the wife's no longer there, because he couldn't couldn't do that when she was around. Oh, he's smoking like a chimney without her there. Oh, yeah, he loves it. (laughs) Uh, Lisa is in on the action, and Jeff uh, starts conspiring with his police detective friend, Tom Doyle. Yep. Who, you know, he's a detective, he just shows up, and as I told Matt, all he does, as detectives do, he shows up, takes a drink, discusses, and then leaves. (laughs) Yep. Spills the drink on him, too. (laughs) Oh, yeah, eventually he does. (laughs) And uh, I do like that Stella's, like, being very gruesome with the murder. She's like, oh, well, you know, he probably killed her in the bathtub and got blood everywhere. It's fine. You know what happens? There's probably parts of her swimming along uh, the East River as we speak. Um, I put down again, the newlyweds are fucking, <laughs> still fucking. Oh, yeah. And Harry! He hired... <laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> not again. <laughs> but 
there's like a throwaway line in the in the end where she's like, if you would have told me you lost your job or something like that, it's it's like blink and you miss it, but it's just yeah. one line from them. Yeah. God. I don't know. I don't know where that story went. Maybe he was he was railing her so hard so she wouldn't ask. <laughs> Uh, but uh, Torvald hires some moving men to bring out this box, this suitcase, and they don't question what's in it. Uh, Jeffrey tries to send Stella after the moving truck to get a name, but Stella does the old womp womp, it didn't happen. Uh, the way the set is set up is there's this gap in the alleyway, like across the street is a bar, and that's where he looks to see if people like cross the street or go out of their apartment complex. So, yeah. Yeah. It's good. Set up. It's good. It's I didn't get the the layers thing though. It just looked like a vertical set to me, but um, I can understand how that would be the basement. I guess it's just set up in a way that it it doesn't. You wouldn't think that, right? Yeah, because the courtyard does look like it's street level. Yeah. So it's it's really impressive this set, honestly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um the next night or day as Lisa is still trying to um, get her head wrapped around the, the murder, Tom shows up and, you know, Lisa is visiting for a drink, I think, or no, she's trying to stay the night. And um, once she does that, she's like packed a to go bag or a <laughs> night bag to stay over with Jeff. And then Tom just waltzes in <laughs> She's uh, swirling some brandy, which no one ever drinks. <laughs> oh, yeah. They are swirling it for like the 10 minutes the scene takes. Like, I never noticed that before. They're just <laughs> swirling and swirling and swirling. They, they need something to do with their hands. Yeah. Um, and uh, before this happens, you know, we, we get little pieces from Tom with things like uh, morons don't murder in broad daylight. Like, clearly he would close the blinds if... This was a real issue. There's like a one in a million shot that you see an actual murderer. Um, we do see that the dog from above is digging in the flower bed. So everyone suspects that there must be something buried there. Uh, Lisa thinks it could be Mrs. Thorwald. <laughs> <laughs> and Stella's like, no, we wouldn't be able to bury her in a one by one square. Come on. Maybe if she, if he put her, uh, you know, uh, what's the proper, like standing up. Yeah, on end. <laughs> yeah, put her, put her in vertically. Yeah, That's and, too silly. Uh, Tom reveals that he did pick up some information on Torvald's background, that he sells costume jewelry, so that could explain all the jewelry, um, and that apparently he put his wife on a train because she was sick and really like a homebody needed to get out some fresh air, and he has from different sources that apparently the suitcase was sent off to the train and picked off, picked up by someone along the way mm -hmm. and that a, a telegram was sent back to him. So, I mean, he really checked every box. Yeah, that's true. Like, Except for like, you know, finding out who that person was. He just kind of took them at their word that it was yeah. in fact, Mrs. Thorwald. Yeah. Um, while this is going on. And this all takes place over like two days, three days. Yeah, it's not a long time. No. And um, the next night, Miss Lonely Hearts is going out on a date. Um, she does the Jonathan classy move of drinking before going to the bar. Oh, yeah. Crosses the street and goes to the closest bar in sight, baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you get them. And they're commenting like, oh, she seems lonely and sad. I think the composer might have room, though. 
they're shipping everyone in this apartment complex. Oh yeah. Um, um, Thorwald gets some laundry picked up and addressed, but you know, because the box clearly says like, didn't murder my wife laundry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's just so like plainly written, no logo or no anything. It's, it's a weird prop to me. Yeah. And, uh, he's going through a purse and, Lisa is astounded by this. Like she would never leave behind her favorite handbag, let alone her wedding ring, which is in the purse, which there are things like it's a different time. I keep saying that, but like clearly if you take off your wedding ring, it's not like you explode, right? If you leave, maybe there, maybe she didn't really love him. And I got to bring up the point. Like what if he didn't actually murder her in this movie? Like it could work both ways. Yeah. Like she just would have left him. They would have separated yeah and i just think that would have been a, a more interesting twist too it would have been like oh maybe there wasn't any actual murder going on yeah i don't know uh, wouldn't, that wouldn't have been, been too bad but um i do yeah. think uh yeah i don't know if it would have been the same like the same uh dynamic would have played out for jeff and lisa because the the prospect of a violent murder happening really just pulls them together Hmm. but uh, there is that logic with the wedding ring that lisa says is female intuition just trust on me no no woman would ever leave the house without makeup a handbag in her wedding ring that no i know <laughs> only <laughs> she, if she must were, be a mad woman then only if she were going to a hospital <laughs> no even then she has to look her best she has to bring it along uh, true true with women don't just throw their jewelry in their pocketbook so it gets all scratched and scrambled <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I mean, it's a sexist line, but she she says like women aren't that pre- they're they're very easily predictable. Yeah, <laughs> they're they're creatures of habit. <laughs> and it's at this point that they're having this drink, and um, um, what's his face walks in. The detective Tom yep. walks in, and uh, he notices in probably the most humorous scene that Jeffrey's got some things going on here because he sees a uh, uh, Lisa's overnight bag. And then and Matt brought up, like, the landlords, like, how everyone in this day and age must have told their landlord everything. Yeah, it, that's just weird to me. It really makes no no sense. No, it doesn't. They, they were thinking, uh, yeah, Thorwald didn't tell his landlord that his wife would no longer be there. And they, they were starting to find that odd. And then uh, the detective was like, oh, when you tell your landlord about uh, your visitor and... Mm-hmm. I, I'm just like, oh, she's just spending the night. What what big of a deal is it? Who would care? <laughs> it's like, my landlord told me once. <laughs> Who'd you check with that, 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 that thing went down to the railroad and was delivered? Oh, the landlord. <laughs> <laughs> they, they knew. They're on top of it. They're on top of every little thing here. Yeah, yeah that one lady landlord. Let me tell you, when the cops are called later, she, she runs up those stairs. <laughs> they're there in a second. <laughs> <laughs> it was the old scary movie trope like white woman in trouble <laughs> they're like finally time for some action <laughs> they're just outside ready to go <laughs> yeah uh, landlords uh, of new but, york city oh my gosh i wish it's like get your stat <laughs> <laughs> um so uh, lisa suggests that they close the blinds and actually get some private time and um but slightly before that, Lonely Hearts brings home a man, and you know, like they're casually just watching, <laughs> sipping their cognac, 
and this relationship doesn't turn out the way she wants. She slaps this guy across the face for being too assertive or dominant. Yeah. And he leaves and she's sad again. And no comment, just still swirling their whiskey, their brandy, whatever. Their cognac in the glass. Yep. They just, and, they, nobody's like, you want to talk about what we just saw? <laughs> no, I'm good. Yeah, I just want to swirl this cognac a bit more. Is that okay? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, she lowers the blinds like, ooh, seen enough for one night. I'm going to go change. Uh, she comes out in her, her nightgown where I'm like, all right, you could show a little bit more skin. We've been together for a bit. <laughs> uh, and I mean, yeah, you look like grandma. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, I got to meet your grandma. <laughs> she comes out dressed as a nun. <laughs> Uh, uh, and wouldn't you know the one time they won't be watching this poor dog dies <laughs> <laughs> yep literally the and, the five seconds in which they're not which, which lends credence to the theory that somebody is watching them they're like okay wait they finally closed their own blinds they're not looking at us anymore go go <laughs> he put out that stogie he ran downstairs strangled the dog silently ran back upstairs locked the door smoked on a cigarette all in five minutes Hey, it can happen. That's uh, adrenaline. I just want his side of the story where he's like... (laughs) 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 It's disbelieving what they see, and like the dog doesn't make a sound when it's strangled to death. Yeah, that is true. You know, it's one of those little barking dogs. You would know. (laughs) You live with one. What's interesting is that... um, So... They discovered the dog being strangled, and that's the noise that alerts them. But that doesn't mean that the dog would have been strangled like immediately. Like, what are the odds that? There would have... uh, well, you forgot. Mrs. Lonely Heart stumbles out drunk, and she's like, "What's going on over here?" <laughs> and immediately, she's like, "This dog's been strangled." <laughs> yeah. And someone took his license. <laughs> <laughs> it's been strangled around the neck by someone. Yay high. I checked his pockets. His wallet's gone. <laughs> <laughs> so she probably, you know, majors in some veterinary skills that she's got going on in her life. Uh, it's just, it, <laughs> oh man, the timing really there is is just so suspect. Because, yeah. you know, Thorwald would have uh, strangled the dog. And then immediately after, somebody would have noticed. And all in that time, you know... Uh, uh, Jeff wouldn't have been watching. Yeah, and the party with the one-hit song is going on at the the songwriter's house. That one song, man. Alvin and the Chipmunks blasted on the radio. (laughs) Oh, yeah. They can't (laughs) get enough of it. Yeah, yeah, every time they show this apartment, it's like more and more people (laughs) around the piano. Uh, As soon as the song ends, they're like, play it again, motherfucker! Play it again. We want to hear the song. (laughs) You know the one. (laughs) The only one you know how to play. (laughs) Giving me shake that ass. Watch yourself. Shake Shake that that ass. ass. Show me what you're working with. (laughs) Pension all young players and pimps. Right now is the place to be. be. Uh, and we get this speech from this one lady who's like none of you guys ever care you're supposed to care this this poor dog who which one of you did it yeah i, I, I like this speech yeah, yeah but no, it, it, 
in typical New York fashion, everyone's just watching like, eh. Yeah, they're just like, oh, this, this lady's crazy. Let's go back in and hear that song. Yes. But, uh, yeah. yeah, she's like, um, he's like, just because he liked all of you? Or she's like, he's he's the only one who liked all of you. Is that why you killed him? Just because he liked you? <laughs> Uh, R.I.P. Dog. <laughs> but she gets over this dog real quick, too. Hey, they're a dime a dozen. Oh, my God. No, they're not. <laughs> yeah, they're she, hey, she got it. She replaced them. Yeah. Pretty easily by the end of the movie. Mm, but, but Lisa, didn't you notice? One guy didn't come to the window. <laughs> mm. Just sitting there smoking on a cigarette. So then they're like, all right. Clearly, something's afoot here. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should call the cops now. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good instinct by him, I gotta say. I, I don't think I would have noticed that. But then, I'm getting, then again, I'm not a creepy voyeur. Yeah. So. Uh, so in the final scene, this movie moves fast for two hours and little going on. It goes fast. It trucks by. Yeah, that's true. It, it, it doesn't drag. Uh, so we're at the, like, the last day, the last night, the last afternoon, and... Jeffrey's got Stella and Lisa in on it, and they're they're trying to piece together what's happening. Luckily, Jeffrey has a collection of photos from the same scene that he saved on like kaleidoscope vision or whatever. <laughs> like the the uh, I forget what you call it, like the oh, man. You called it a viewer. Yeah, the viewer, but he's viewing like the negatives, right, for the scene or whatever. Mm, I don't know. I don't know how like. I mean, it's fancy camera talking. I don't know. I'm just a mere podcaster. What do I know about? <laughs> it, it's really, uh, yeah, I guess they are the negatives. Because it's really like um, when you put a, uh, yeah, what is that? That It was a kid's toy. It was like a viewer kid's toy Yeah. that I used to play with. Yeah, like a viewfinder. Oh, yeah, I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, no. No? Wait. I don't know, because that's also a part of a camera. Oh, there's this one thing that I just googled. It's called a retro. The fuck is this? <laughs> it's called a once retro... you hit the Urban Outs- Outfitters website, you gone in too deep, Matt. Ah, uh, a Viewmaster. Ah, uh, Viewmaster. Uh, yeah. Yep, that's what it is. Ah, cool. He's basically you got that. Yeah, he's he's got a ch- like a, a a child's toy that he's viewing his <laughs> photographs with. Trying to find the, out the identity of a murderer. <laughs> well, photographs, you know, are his thing, in case you noticed or didn't notice. <laughs> uh, but he goes, no, do you see something wrong? Something's off? And they're clearly like, no, it's the same picture. No, those two roses. <laughs> Since when have you ever heard during a record heat wave of roses going down? Because <laughs> flowers don't happen. <laughs> flowers don't wilt in the heat mm-hmm. and they're just like okay I, hey, I guess you're on to something yeah what do you think's there and Lisa's like it's gotta be Mrs. Thorwald <laughs> <laughs> and Stella's like well maybe a piece of her mm. <laughs> scattered here scattered over there <laughs> should we call the cops no we're gonna wait a little bit more we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna scope them out and Thorwald is packing so it's like we gotta get it done we gotta we gotta take a take a gander at that when night falls, and I always wanted to meet Mrs. Thorwald anyway. Uh, that's a silly line. Yeah. 
Um, but I, I, I like it. It's she's got yeah. a dark sense of humor. Yeah. Um, all while this is going on, like I, I appreciate this because it builds the tension, and uh, at the same time, I don't appreciate it because it's a plot line that really doesn't go anywhere and just distracts people. Is Miss Lonely Heart is like on suicide watch right now? <laughs> yeah. She's uh she's uh taking some pretty red pills. She's writing a note to herself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's getting all dolled up and uh they're keep cutting to like her going on during this scene when all the shenanigans are going on because uh Thelma and Louise or Lisa and <laughs> and Stella go out to the garden and is I mean, Stella's gone through this before. This isn't her first rodeo. <laughs> no, she, definitely not. She finds that shovel, she climbs that. <laughs> <laughs> She, she, dressed for the, she dressed for the occasion. Yeah, she's got she's got her orthopedic Oxfords on. She's ready to move, baby. <laughs> she's got her Heelys on. <laughs> and uh, I love when she's digging that. Uh, Grace Kelly is just standing behind her, arms folded, like whistling into the wind. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Don't mind us. Just digging in the garden. <laughs> uh, but that doesn't work out. And then... Um, Lisa gets it in her to some Harriet the Spy action. She climbs the fire escape. Yeah, she does fucking parkour here. Yeah, and in heels and a dress, man. It is pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, she is a dancer. She's limber enough. Yeah. (laughs) But she pops into Thorwald's apartment and she starts rummaging. (laughs) Stella runs back and is like, I couldn't get to her, Mr. Jeffrey. She said she's got to search. Give her another minute, and they notice that uh, Miss Lonely Hearts is going to kill herself. Yeah. So call the police and this old rotary dial phone. <laughs> <laughs> I, is seeing some mad action. I, I think that's the point of uh, Miss Lonely Hearts is that they call the police like a little bit sooner. Oh yeah. Because originally they call the police for her. No, they don't though. Don't they stop like midway because she hears the song going on? Well, yeah. But uh they only got three of the five digits in. <laughs> <laughs> or no, they don't they don't stop calling the police midway through. Like they call the police and then they're put on hold. Oh. And then and then uh Mr. Thorwald comes back to the apartment. So they were originally calling about lonely hearts, but then they switch it up and they're like, No, now there's a man assaulting a woman at this this oh. apartment. So I guess it helps the police get there like a few seconds faster. And that landlord, she, she's booking it up the stairs. <laughs> not in my house, not in my watch. This is the first exciting thing that's happened here. Yeah, you. I mean, initially when I watched this, I didn't think that she was going to be like strangled or anything, but <laughs> Thorwald is tossing her around. I don't know, I considered it. But like, why wouldn't you hide under the bed? I mean, she's in that dress, but she could have fit, she could have skedaddled under there hey, maybe they got a storage under the bed <laughs> oh yeah that's true maybe that's where the the wife's dead body is <laughs> yeah hey she always wanted to meet mrs thorwald yeah and uh she just in time the police arrive uh she gets taken down but before she uh, uh lisa leaves she gestures to jeff across the way that she has the wedding ring that she found and thorwald sees this and is immediately upset. I don't know why he wouldn't be just like, and this thief stole my wedding ring, but... Because clearly he's like, she's been stealing from me, right? I just walked in and found this woman in here. Yeah. Hmm. Impressive that the police would take a woman's word over a man's back then. Well, hmm. they they do... They do book her. <laughs> and I think <laughs> they he, cuff her. he gets away scot-free. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. But wouldn't like in the process, what did he tell the police? Like this lady's been stealing. Cause then I would have been like, and she took my wedding ring over here. Uh, yeah. That's like, true. wouldn't that have just stopped everything without <laughs> that evidence? But, uh, uh yeah i think jeff says something to that effect like um she didn't tell the police about the wedding ring because she's a smart girl yeah because <laughs> i guess i don't know i'm not sure why she didn't quite honestly yeah. like the police could have taken care of mr thorwald right then and there <laughs> they would have just shot him <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, that nypd yeah, <laughs> just to open the door. <laughs> no one saw nothing. <laughs> to sprinkle uh, but, a little cocaine on him. <laughs> that's that's all you gotta do. <laughs> uh, but while Lisa is getting booked, uh, Stella has it in her like she's gonna go down and uh, get her out so they can get the ring and finally get this uh, you know this case on on wheels as one would say. Um, and this is the point where, you know, they're digging through everyone's pocketbook and Jeff is like, I got $150. I need a hundred more. Stella, how much you got? She's like, I got some, how much does, uh, uh, Lisa have 50 cents. <laughs> so, uh, that's good. I she's like been that. stealing those dresses. <laughs> no, I think it's just a joke for the script. I like it. Yeah. It's cute. And you know, it's the time where they can't just lock the door. Can't, can't lock it. Just if you want to lock that door, you would have saved yourself a lot of, a lot of heartache. Yep. Crazy, uh, crazy they, murderer knows who you are and where you live. You well, know, they leave Je- they leave Jeffrey alone. I forgot to say that before. Like they call the apartment across the way because that's how the phone book works <laughs> <laughs> to get Thorwald out of the apartment. Yeah. Um, and and instead of sending him to a bar, I don't know, like maybe three blocks over, they choose the bar right across the street from the apartment. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I'm nitpicking. I'm nitpicking a master thriller, apparently. <laughs> I think uh, yeah. they were under stress at the time. Yeah, they they were panicked. <laughs> uh, uh, Jeff is alone, and he gets a phone call. <laughs> like, clearly the murderer calling him back, and he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, he starts, what like, revealing some of their plan. He's like, oh, we know, we know he did it. He's a... Oh shit! I'm talking to Amar and I. <laughs> and having just rewatched Lady in a Cage, with which is a stupid premise for a thriller, it's this the, Olivia de Havilland's in an elevator like four feet off the ground, and she just had like a, a hip replaced, but it gets stuck midway, and like the whole film is like these uh, ruffians coming in and stealing things from her and threatening to kill her. Ooh. But it's such a small drop; it's like you'll clearly live. Like you could. <laughs> You could have saw. You would have busted your hip up. <laughs> you would clearly live. She can't take the it's pain. Ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. It, it, I swear. It, it's such it a been, huge little elevator in this huge staircase. It would have been too embarrassing. Like I know. The day yeah, she, the day after you get your hip replaced, you got to come in for another one. Yeah. <laughs> Doctor would be like, "Come on." Oh, maybe future watch because that movie is weird. That movie is strange. Um, okay, so Jeff is alone in the apartment and it's dark, and we start hearing some footsteps, you know, working their way through the apartment. The landlord's just like, "Come on in." What do yeah. you want to say? Where's the landlord now? <laughs> yeah, and we don't know what Thorwald 
was meaning to get by this. Like, clearly, if he does anything to Jeffrey, he's guilty, right? Like, what was his long plan here? Yeah, I mean, I think at first he was thinking maybe he could uh, sway Jeff because he was like, uh, what do you want from me? Is it money? Yeah. And so maybe he's willing to pay him off to keep this under wraps. Yeah, and uh, they're sitting in this darkened apartment. Jeff doesn't have any weapons by him at all, just his faithful camera, which turns out to be the deadliest weapon of all time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This this scene never got me. I'm just like, close your eyes. It wouldn't take that. It would take too long to change the bulbs. Like, come on. Yeah. I mean, like, there is you know, kind of the chance, the possibility that Jeff is doing this at, like, random intervals so you won't know when to close your eyes. But if he just closes his eyes and walks forward... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Swinging his arms, he's gonna hit Jeffrey. <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna close my eyes and walk forward, and if I hit anyone, it's on your fault. Actually, he does know when to close his eyes, because he, even Jeff, like, puts his, uh... He his eyes. Yeah. Oh, Lord. I, I don't know, I just... I think it's a stupid twist, but Torwald finally gets to Jeffrey as the police are showing up across the way. He screams out, help, I'm being murdered, and everyone and their mother sticks their head out the window like, what's going on? That apartment over there? Someone dying, huh? (laughs) (laughs) The newlyweds next door in the middle of sex poke their head out. They're like, whoa, what's going on here? (laughs) These quickest cops, (laughs) they run right over it. Jeff is dangling out the window. Yeah, they must have like ziplined over or something. (laughs) <laughs> trampling the roses swung on a clothesline Stella comes over carrying a machine gun <laughs> like we're ready and they, they they got her out of jail super fast they're like in the car woo turn around you turn yeah probably that might be what happened yeah <laughs> uh, she's like I'm gonna you know I'll give you something if you turn around and get to my man Jeffrey <laughs> Uh, but uh, Jeff falls out the window and in a shot that's from like Psycho with him CGI'd or, you know, green screened over himself. Yeah, this is silly. It's like, it's it's silly. It's like they, they take just like, they have like a shot of just his body and they green screen that onto <laughs> the, the set and, yeah. and they like shrink his body gradually over the course of like the seconds of this scene. It's just, you know, it's a, it hasn't aged well at all. Uh, Probably in the fifties, it was revolutionary. Yeah, I would would agree. I think it was, everyone was stunned on the edge of their seats, (laughs) even though it's a clear, like you'll live, you'll probably break a leg or another leg, but you'll live. Drop. They were just like, Oh my God, that man is really falling. Thank God these cops were here to cushion my fall. <laughs> and uh, Torwald immediately confesses to everything. Just everything. We're the, uh, we gotta wrap up. Come on, shooting's over. Just, you know, two lines. Come on. <laughs> he confessed to everything. He's gonna take us a tour of the East River. <laughs> yep. I, and I guess he just felt he didn't have a fighting chance. <laughs> or he was like really guilty like really haunted by the fact yeah, that he be. killed this woman they um, just didn't have any lawyers was in the garden I, I missed that well they don't explicitly mention it they um i think doyle offers to tell uh stella and then stella's like oh. i don't want any part of her 
Uh, but uh, I do have kind of a, it's in my notes, kind mm. of like an implicit mention. Uh, yeah, let me pull it up. Okay. It's, it's uh, kind of pertains to the film in general, mm. because uh, the idea for the story uh, for Hitchcock, he was actually inspired by two real murder cases that happened in the uh, 20th century. One of them was uh, uh, the real-life murder case of Patrick Mahone, who in 1924 in Sussex, England, murdered his pregnant mistress, Emily Kay, oh. and dismembered her body. Uh, in an interview, Hitchcock claimed that Mahone threw the body parts out of a train window piece by piece. But then uh, when it came time to dispose of the head, he didn't know what to do with it. So this was... Um, kind of implied to be the piece that was buried in the uh, flower bed because wow. he didn't know uh, what else to, to like he wouldn't have thrown it in the river or anything. Why? I guess, <laughs> I guess maybe it would have been too easy to find and identify. Well, but why would he bury it next to the people he live he lives with? <laughs> yeah, I guess he thought nobody was going to find it. <laughs> <laughs> and I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for those stupid dogs. <laughs> yeah, I was meddling, meddling photographers. <laughs> and uh, going back to these murder cases, some another source says that instead of throwing the pieces out of a train window, Mahone actually uh, stored the body in a large trunk, mm. and then removed internal organs, putting some in biscuit tins and a hat box and boiling others on the stove. Oh, how pleasant. <laughs> and then <laughs> Wearing in, a nice hat, eating some biscuits, cooking some soup. Yeah, in addition to that murder, uh, Hitchcock also took notice of the uh, 1910 case of Dr. Holly Crippen, who uh, was an American living in London who poisoned his wife and cut up her body and then told her, or and then told neighbors... And uh, police that she had moved to Los Angeles. Crippen mm. was eventually caught after his secretary was seen wearing Crippen's jewelry, and a family friend searched unsuccessfully for Mrs. Crippen in California. Mm. Uh, eventually, Scotland Yard became involved, and then uh, Crippen and his mistress fled England under false names and were apprehended on an ocean liner. And then uh, police later found parts of Crippen's body in her cellar. Wow. Yeah, kind of grisly. So it's uh, it's impressive. I, I have kind of like another note here from uh, from a critic that's kind of impressed by Hitchcock's ability to like weave this uh, this story, this kind of mm. like violent tale with no kind of show of violence at all. Like the only violent act that you really see is um, the dog post the wig, yeah, yeah. the wig yeah. <laughs> on his stick, uh, the tennis ball <laughs> that they CGI in later. <laughs> um, it says, uh, yeah, this critic. I forgot exactly which critic this was, but they say uh, Hitchcock makes use of off-screen space to piece together a murder without showing a single violent act, mm. and then. Uh, yeah, they also note that uh, there's a subtle erotic change or charge that finally hits uh, James Stewart once Grace Kelly leaves the apartment and crosses over into his voyeuristic gaze. 
And oh, then yeah. there's uh, the film's witty commentary on the fundamental oddities of human behavior. In its perfect fusion of popular entertainment and high art, Rear Window ranks among Hitchcock's best. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But uh, yep. that's that's <laughs> the grisly detail I was kind of hinted at in the movie, but left out. <laughs> It'd be funny if he like pulled a Dahmer and it's like, but no one checked the fridge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a head in my fridge. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, the movie ends very simply, you know, all our couples are, or all our apartment dwellers are living their best lives. Miss Lonely Heart is dating the songwriter. Uh, there's a new puppy on the block. The newlyweds are <laughs> bickering over, like, if you would have told me you, you lost your job, maybe we would have had less sex or something. Yeah. Like I, maybe we wouldn't have gotten married or something. Yeah. Yeah, but, this artist has made her penis sculpture entitled Hunger. <laughs> yeah, I like how for the newlyweds that like honeymoon period has has dissolved. <laughs> has dwell has dried up. <laughs> yep. And uh, you know, uh, Jeffrey, he's broken the other leg. Now he has both, he's passed out, and uh, Lisa is there. She's initially reading like a travel uh, book, and yeah. then she picks up her, you know, her Vogue magazine. <laughs> Yeah, she's really bizarre. Yeah, she's going. How how can I swindle this man a little more money? <laughs> I mama wants a new dress. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I really like that ending. I gotta say, it's um even the Rocky and Bullwinkle like outro music. <laughs> I wasn't really... like do 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 do. Well, they had the uh, the songwriter song that was like Lisa. Oh yeah, Lisa, Lisa. <laughs> but um. Yeah, no, I, I, I like the ending a lot. I like seeing um, how much has changed in all the sur- <clears throat> surrounding apartments. But I really like that, um, just kind of that hint. I like the change in dynamic. Like, now you really see that uh, Jeff and Lisa are satisfied and pleased with each other. And they've learned how to kind of compromise in order to keep the other person happy. Like yeah. you, see, uh, you see Lisa in more comfortable, utilitarian clothing. That's not mm-hmm. like it's still pretty fashionable, honestly. But you know, it's yeah. not like because it's Grace Kelly wearing it. It's like she can come out in a sack and be like, "I'm beautiful." <laughs> yeah, but it's not like a cocktail party ready dress that she normally wears. And, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, she still hasn't given up that part of herself that's interested in all that fashion. I, yeah, yeah. I think it's just really a sweet note to end on. And honestly, for me, like for my money, I think this whole movie is a it's a romance film. Oh yeah, more than anything else. Like, um, yeah, I I don't know. Lots of people categorize it as a thriller, and I mean, I definitely see that. But I think primarily for me, it's a romance film. Mm. It's like after you solve your first case, (laughs) where else is there to go? Like, but the bedroom. (laughs) There, that relationship is uh, set in stone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think that Stella will be along to watch. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) She'll just be in the next room. Hey, as long as she's getting paid. And uh, Tom will be there swirling some bourbon. (laughs) Maybe Tom and Stella will hook up. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I think they're both uh, happily married, but when's (laughs) that stopped anyone? Yeah, especially in this day and age of the 50s. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right, with that, uh, final thoughts and pizza ratings, shall we? (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. Well, um, I I do have have some notes. Oh, some notes? 
okay. I don't know. Throw it I don't know what I want to share because I, I got a lot. That's a lot, a lot, which is probably unnecessary. Oh, right. I do want to say, did you catch the Hitchcock cameo? Oh, he's like, isn't he crossing or something like that uh, in the alleyway? Nope. No. But he uh, he loves doing cameos in his films. Yes. And uh, in this one, he is the person winding the clock in the songwriter's apartment. Ah, yeah. And the guy I said, he's just winding the clock. (laughs) Yep, that's all he's doing. It was uh, Hitchcock himself getting some uh, Screen Actors Guild cred. Mm. You know why I didn't recognize him? Because he lost all that weight. Yeah, he looked good. Yeah. So, let's see. I'll mention the... uh... I mentioned the Robert Ebert review just because it's Roger fucking Ebert. Uh, But I like what he has to say about it. He said in uh, 1983 that the film develops such a clean, uncluttered line from beginning to end that we're drawn through it and into it effortlessly. The experience is not so much like watching a movie as like, well, like spying on your neighbors. Hitchcock (laughs) traps us right from the first, and because Hitchcock cock makes us accomplices in Stewart's voyeurism we're along for the ride when an enraged man comes bursting through the door to kill Stewart, we can't detach ourselves because we looked too and so we share the guilt and in a way we deserve what's coming to him i do like that um within this movie uh this is me talking not ebert anymore but i like <laughs> how we're really only exposed to what uh jeff knows yeah. Like we, this is a movie where, like we as an audience, are treated to any scene other than what Jeff is in. Like we mm. only see what he sees. We only know as much as he knows, which is pretty interesting because usually you know films treat the audience as like privy to some extra information that some of the characters don't always know. But this is uh, this kind of circumvents that. Uh, it says. Again, I don't know who wrote this, but I'm, I stole it, and I'm going to say it now. The hero of Rear Window is trapped in a wheelchair, and we're trapped too. Trapped inside his point of view, inside his lack of freedom and his limited options. When he passes his long days and nights, he's shamelessly, or by shamelessly, maintaining a secret watch on his neighbors. We share his obsession. Here's a film about a man who does on the screen what we do in the audience. Look through a lens at the private lives of strangers. Uh, Similarly, Francois Truffaut suggested that this parable, this courtyard, is the world, the reporter, photographer is the filmmaker, the the binoculars stand for the camera and its lenses. So that's probably another reason why it played so well to Hollywood and people in that vein, just because, um, you know, it can be kind of seen as commentary on Hollywood and us watching. Uh, While we were watching the whole movie, I kept on making references to it being like TV and like this being his favorite <laughs> show. And I think it's yeah, very much like that. Yeah. And um, it could probably even relate to like how we view uh, smartphones and laptops and things these days. Cause uh, Jeff spends all his time looking at those and doesn't really pay attention to the beautiful woman in his room, but then yeah. he's, you know, trying to vie for his attention. So yeah, it still, uh, still holds up pretty well. Yeah, I agree. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, I forgot to mention this when we talked about it. During that rain scene that kind of happens towards the beginning of the film, there's, mm-hmm. uh, there's a scene in which the man and the woman on the fire escape 
the ones who sleep out there, they struggle to get out of the rain. And that's because of a prank played by Hitchcock. Uh, he told the man to pull the mattress in one direction and told the woman to pull the mattress in the other mm-hmm. direction. And they did not know that they had received conflicting directions. <laughs> so they start to fight and struggle <laughs> to get the mattress in. And that results in one of the couple, I believe the woman she's tossed into the window. Um, and then the man like follows afterwards by falling in. And uh, yeah, it just provides it with uh, humor and a sense of authenticity to the scene that Hitchcock liked. Uh, so much so that he didn't think he needed another take after that one. <laughs> what a prank. You know, him <laughs> telling them to pull the mattress, tying girls to birds. <laughs> Funny man, yeah. that Hitchcock, you know? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> uh, Hilarious. <laughs> this is uh, this is the only movie in which Grace Kelly is seen with a cigarette. She refused to smoke in all of her movies. Um, mm. She made kind of a half exception to this one although she didn't end up breaking her rule because she does not actually smoke in this movie um she's shown with a cigarette in one scene and then it cuts to jeff and then when it cuts back to her the cigarette is in her hand lit and smoking Mm -hmm. but she's not you know she doesn't actually huff it (laughs) she just let it for ambiance (laughs) yeah kind of a loophole there but uh, (laughs) respect to grace kelly for not you know promoting smoking in her films yeah especially in old hollywood where it's just like smoke smoke drink drink yeah, come on exactly. we use real alcohol on set let's go <laughs> uh hitchcock supposedly hired the uh actor to play who plays lars thorwald uh his name is raymond burr um he's pretty famous i think and hitchcock yeah, supposed, that name yeah hitchcock hired him because he could be easily made to look like his old producer david o selznick whom Hitchcock felt uh, hindered his career and interfered too much in his movies. They actually have kind of a long drama that started with uh, Hitchcock's first, I think it was his first American film, Rebecca. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was the first film with that producer. And um, yeah, he just thought Selznick had meddled too much with his movies. So he effectively disowned Rebecca and uh, ended their relationship fairly quickly a few years later by 1947. So uh, Mm. Hitchcock gave uh, the actor playing Thorwald glasses that were just like Selznick's and curly gray hair to match the producers. And he instructed Mm. uh, Thorwald to adopt many of the same mannerisms, such as the way he cradled a telephone in his neck. So, uh, yeah, after all that, the the villain of this film was said to look a lot like that producer uh, no doubt to that producer's supreme annoyance yeah so that's a uh, yeah hitchcock's just kind of a funny guy that's another <laughs> sly move by him like i said attaching people to birds real funny guy uh one last thing is that uh, the romance between Jeff and Lisa is supposedly based on a real-life Bergman fling. (laughs) But this is Ingrid Bergman. Oh. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) She was uh, in a few. (laughs) Rumor has it that Jeff and Lisa were based on war photographer Robert Kappa and Ingrid Bergman. Uh, The Mm. pair dated while Bergman was filming Notorious with Hitchcock in 1946. 
So Hitchcock actually saw their relationship firsthand. The affair ended within a year, but it clearly struck a chord with Hitchcock, who had what many described as an acute, unrequited passion for Bergman. Uh, like <laughs> Jeff, Kappa was a photojournalist who lived in Greenwich Village, and in a particularly eerie twist of fate, they both suffered leg injuries while on the job. Hmm. Oh, there actually is one last thing. Um, mm. Oh, uh, two last things. One real quick. We mentioned that James uh, or Jeff, when he brings out this huge uh, camera lens in order to spot yeah. his neighbors, um, we were like, that's too ridiculous. Obviously, he would be seen. Um, and, well, yeah, I do think that would be pretty noticeable to his neighbors. But even apart from that, just using mm -hmm. that telephoto lens, um, supposedly a 400 millimeter the magnification of it would make it uh, nearly impossible to use effectively without a tripod. Yeah. So uh, just uh, for all the photo heads out there, probably <laughs> frustrated by watching that scene. Uh, I'm right there. Well, oh, I got my knee right here. <laughs> what kind of tripod do I need? Uh... Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I do appreciate that attention to detail. That was good because <laughs> I think, yeah, if you were a photographer, you would probably use your knee or your arm if possible. You'd like scoff. That. <laughs> well, yeah, that first. Uh, finally, Jimmy Stewart's wife actually did not want him to make a movie with Grace Kelly because uh, <laughs> Kelly had a bit of a reputation for having affairs with her male co-stars, uh, even the ones who were married. <laughs> and one of these was, um, and one of these men that she reportedly had an affair with was uh or had a wife who was a good friend of jimmy stewart's wife and um yeah she just developed a, a bit of paranoia from that but luckily it doesn't look like any shenanigans went on between <laughs> james stewart and, and grace kelly off set or off screen although uh kelly i think she said in a, in a magazine interview that uh stewart was one of the most like handsomely or masculinely attractive man that she knows mm. so it's kind of stoking the fires there but nothing actually came of it which is mm. probably good yeah, probably for the best yeah oh and i don't think I, I i yeah i hinted at this with my hints but i don't think i actually mentioned it at the top of the show <laughs> but uh this movie is based on a short story oh. uh called it had to be murder and let me see if I can find the author. Oh, Cornell Woolrich is the author of It Had to Be Murder. I think it's like a 13-page story. I was going to read it before this, but um, <laughs> I remembered I forgot how to read. Slash yeah. never knew. So Sad. that didn't end up happening. But, it had to be murder. <laughs> but that, that short story apparently doesn't include... Um, Really, it doesn't include like any neighbor characters. It doesn't include a love interest or the nurse, not the female nurse. I think there is kind of a male caretaker. Mm. And um, the leg injury that the protagonist has in the short story isn't even mentioned until the very last line. Wow. So, kind of interesting. But um, yeah, I think it's it was great material to make this movie off of. So props to Hitchcock. Mm. Um, although... Um, I, I, I think the plot for the movie was maybe a little thin. I think ultimately the movie could have been 
shorter uh, because it is really like 85 minutes until something happens. Oh, yeah. And nothing happens until like the tail end. Then everything happens in those last 20 minutes. Yeah. So it it, it takes a while to get rolling. Mm. Um, it, you know, thankfully, it's still pretty entertaining. Um, there's really not too much going on. I think, I think in the fifties, you know, movies like this were not trying to be so um, epic in scale or in scope or anything like that. Um, I think they were I mean, audiences were really satisfied with like telling a smaller scale story that didn't have to be full of twists or or shocking moments or anything like that. But uh, I don't know if it plays as well. Uh, in this century, I mean, I think it's still really solid, and yeah, those that last act, that third act climax, really is suspenseful, even though it's a little bit goofy as well. Yeah, but um, yeah, I don't, I, I guess I just wanted the the movie to be a little meatier. Yeah, um, but uh, I really like what we what we got, and I particularly like the dynamic between. Uh, Jeff and Lisa, and uh, mm. Jeff and Stella too. I think they have a great rapport. So, um, yeah, and like I said, ultimately, I think this is like the heart of this film is that romance, um, and I think the the neighbors are captured pretty pretty well as well. <laughs> yeah. They uh, they have their own characteristics. They're all pretty goofy. They there's a good sense of humor that anchors this film and keeps it from being overly serious. Uh, so it's it's honestly a good time. And of course, that set is uh, crazy. I, I was trying to look for how, um, you know, how they could light this set artificially and still have it look realistic. But uh, it just kept looking realistic to me, honestly. Yeah. Like, I, I am yeah. surprised they did not shoot this outdoors with proper daylight. Um, so, yeah, I I think it's it's solid and it's. It's really sweet. I appreciate it uh, a good amount, and it's. I, I'm a sucker for films with a gimmick, so I really like that this whole thing takes place in uh, just one set. Yeah. And really, like pretty much just in his apartment, uh, the protagonist's apartment. Um, oh, I did want to mention that there is a scene in which Jeff speaks to his editor at the beginning of the movie, and that was originally scripted oh, yeah. to take place in the editor's office, so that mm-hmm. would have stopped it from uh, being a one set movie. And this scene was even filmed with uh, Jimmy Stewart and another actor meeting outside of Jeff's apartment. But um, ultimately Hitchcock decided that the departure from the apartment would be too great of a distraction. And uh, instead he just used the audio from that completed scene to make the telephone conversation. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I like what that does. It adds to the gimmick of the movie just being so, isolated and quarantined um yeah i mean hitchcock uh he really pushed the limits to what um film can be when constrained to like such a a small premise and idea like he he had a bit of a way of blowing that wide open so Mm. i think it's um well i'm finally gonna give it my pizza rating after all this rambling I'm going to go ahead and award it a, I'm feeling a 6.8 out of right. eight pizza slices. 
all right, I can get into that. Um, I mean, obviously, echoing everything you just said, I think this movie works well, especially given our current timeline, the worst timeline, (laughs) living in (laughs) quarantine. Um, It still speaks. I do have to admit that ending is a bit goofy, and I'm going to have to, like, you know, subtract a little little points there. That dog on the wig that I didn't, or the wig dog, (laughs) that I really didn't notice the last few times I watched this. That's going to lose a few points, but other than that, it... It's a romance. The characters are good. They're strong. Even the minor characters. I too enjoy the gimmick where it's just one set. I I think this would work well, but you have to stage it in a really... There's theaters that could do it, but I think it could work as a stage play. Yeah, um, I think so too. It just needs, I, I, it's probably been done already because a lot of Hitchcock things are um, already... like they're, they're made for theater in a way too, but um, I think it would be interesting to see this on stage in a different way. I, I don't know how I would go about doing that. Maybe like a vertical set, maybe just like, you know, different areas of the stage are different apartments. Uh, it could be interesting like that. Yeah, I got a pretty theatrical feel from this, I got to admit. Yeah, and I enjoy it. Um, I do, like I said, I think the ending comes a little bit too late. And, you know, that's where the meat of the movie is. But I also get that that's meant to represent kind of normal life. Like, it could be just how people live. Yeah. And uh, I wonder what would happen if Thorwald was innocent the whole time. I think that would have been an interesting <laughs> twist. Maybe even more interesting than the murder twist. But I understand it's Hitchcock. There's got to be <laughs> something going on behind the scenes. Could have been a good uh, alternate ending. Yeah, maybe a Clue-style ending. Oh, nothing happened. <laughs> But like again, I think that reinforces uh, my perception of like how this movie is really just romance. Because even if Thorwald were innocent, I don't think much would have changed. Um, I mean, maybe uh, Jimmy Stewart would have been fined like five hundred dollars for peeping. But um, apart from that, I think you know the experience brought him and Lisa together or closer together, and I think we still would have gotten pretty much the same ending. Yeah. So, yeah, just again. I don't know. It's sweet. I'm a sucker for that. <laughs> mm. So I'll give it seven out of eight pizza slices. All right. Very nice. Yeah, a nice high seven. So with that, we've reached the tail end of our episode. Before we go and you get a hint for what we're watching next, uh, where can our audience find you on social media, Matt? Well, you can find me. I'll be dancing in my uh, apartment. Um, shades fully, fully open. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, I'm in, I'll, I'll be nude um, Tuesdays and Thursdays after 9 p.m. Will you be playing that one song? <laughs> oh, you know it. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Can't get enough of that song. I love that song. <laughs> that Lisa. Oh. <laughs> Lisa. Oh, man. Just so snappy. I love it. Yeah, fucking play that in the club. Everybody goes fucking <laughs> wild. You know, remix, man. Put on some chipmunks. Shit, yeah. Put Buster Rhymes on that. <laughs> Get Justin Bieber on it. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, just you know, stop on by if you can. You don't. You don't even have to come up and say hi. Just, just peek at me. <laughs> just, just give me a peek. <laughs> just give me a peek. Uh, you can peek at me on Instagram at losing my mind JK. You can follow me on Twitter at drink and read JK. You can follow my other podcast anime. It was not a mistake. Currently in the middle of our pirates of the Caribbean rewatch an anime that you never thought was an anime in the first <laughs> place. <laughs> it's a tangent. We go on, we explain it in detail on the podcast. We're just really into the pirates movies for the wrong reasons. <laughs> I never knew uh, Johnny Depp actually never existed. I thought that was yeah. a real person. 
he's just an anime character the whole time. Damn. <laughs> and I suppose you want some hints, don't you? Oh, yes. So my first one was spoiled. I don't know, on air, off air. Matt, this would have been the oldest movie we've picked on the podcast mm. until my choice, which is now the oldest pick that we're <laughs> going to watch on this podcast. All right, just wait till I get to the Melier brothers. Yeah, and I've got a hint that's up your alley, but I'm going to save it because I think it'll give away too much. Okay. Um, but for now, I'm going to say you need to be intoxicated to fully enjoy this movie. I'll say it again. I, you know, do so responsibly. Podcast, listen, and podcast host responsibly. But you're gonna need to be intoxicated to fully enjoy this movie. Okay. <laughs> All right, and that's my two hints for the night. <laughs> Go out out there, peep into someone's window, <laughs> but don't get caught. <laughs> and if you do, at least have a good reason. You make them murder their wife, and then it's okay if you peep. Thank you for joining us for another installment of Nightcaps at the Theater. Special thanks to the Free Music Archive for providing the track Four Way by William Ross Chernoff's Nomads, an edited version of which you're hearing now. We at Nightcaps sincerely hope you enjoyed this episode. If that's the case, or even if it's not, please remember to rate our show on iTunes and leave a review. It really means a lot. Good night, and binge responsibly.